podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Monday, the 8th of August, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from. So, UK expats who would like to watch Match of the Day through the football season can get that on the BBC iPlayer by using a Liberty Shield VPN gets you where you want to be, and keeps your data safe. Check out libertyshield.com. Use the code EPL25. That's EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy, Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, the first weekend of the 2022-2023 Premier League season is in the books. And it was strange. Very, very strange. You could see the teams that were prepared and you could see the teams that haven't done enough. We start Friday night, Crystal Palace at home to Arsenal. The first half, Arsenal were comfortably the better team. Palace really struggled to get going. Gabriel Martinelli put Arsenal 1-0 up on 20 minutes for a close-range header after a semi-decently worked set piece that was largely down to Palace being atrocious defensively. Palace just looked completely out of sorts. And the reason for this was that they didn't have a real preseason. Think about Palace's preseason for one second. Half the squad in Asia, half the squad at home in Europe. How are you going to build any kind of chemistry when many of your best players are left at home because of COVID and vaccines and whatever else. The Asia trip is obviously beneficial for growing the Crystal Palace brand and for financial purposes, but it really hurt them on Friday night. They look completely disjointed. In the second half, though, they did grow into the game. And in the second half, they were the better team. And I don't think anybody could objectively have looked at that game and said that if Palace had scored and gotten a 1-1 draw, that they wouldn't have deserved it. I think even the most ardent Arsenal fans would admit that Palace deserved a draw up until that second goal went in. 
The second goal is Bakaya Saka on the, in the 85th minute, picks the ball up on the right-hand side of the box, works the ball onto his weaker right foot, shoots a cross goal, takes a deflection off Mark Wehi, which takes it into the net. It was going wide otherwise. It's an unfortunate goal for Palace to concede, but Arsenal won't care. They get the win, they get the three points, and they'll be delighted. They can take solace from the fact that they've now had a significantly better start to this season than they had to last season, when, of course, they went three games with zero points and zero goals scored. Arsenal looked quite slick in the first half when Palace were all over the place. But in the second half, the worries about the Arsenal team really did come up. Worries about them defensively, worries about their complete inability to control games in midfield. William Saliba was comfortably Arsenal's best player. When your centre-back is your best player, it indicates what type of game you've just played. Ben White looked shaky at right-back. Zinchenko looked very shaky defensively at left-back. Very good on the ball. And if Tierney had started and Zinchenko had been the left-sided midfielder, I think they would have just looked a better team overall. But Palace grew into the game really well. In truth, they should have scored twice themselves. Edouard had a great opportunity with a close-range header. And he just doesn't get the right direction on it at all. Makes it an easy save. Ramsdale, of course, makes it look a very difficult save, but it's quite an easy save overall. And the second one is Eberichi as he fed in left-hand side of the Arsenal box. Probably the one mistake Saliba made, left him kind of unmarked in that area. And he scuffed his shot at Ramsdale. Simple opportunity, 1v1. You want him just to lift it over the keeper into the far corner, and he doesn't. It's a bit of a daisy cutter, and Ramsdale makes a good save. Joachim Anderson, his progressive passing was outstanding. I thought Dekure grew into the game and looked really good through the second half until he started to sort of get a bit tired, a bit leggy. But you look at that Palace team, and they're starting Guaita, but he's not going to be first choice this year. They have upgraded their goalkeeper. You've got Nathaniel Klein at right back. I said before the summer, I said before last season, they need a new right back. You can't go into a season at this point with Klein and Au as your flank. You just can't. And both of them were poor, especially Au, who was genuinely terrible for the most part. Um... Jeff Schlupp played in central midfield. I think they need another one in midfield anyway. Like, they have Elise to come back in and replace AU, so that's fine. Uh, they played Eze as a 10 and Zaha left wing. Uh, they've played a, a mix of 4-3-3 and 4-2-3-1 in preseason. If you bring Elise in as the right-sided attacking midfielder, the right winger, and... You've got your upgraded goalkeeper once he's back from injury. You're really just looking at a right back and a central midfielder. And you're good. You're going to be really strong. Now, Will Hughes would be a better fit in the midfield too next to Decore than Schlupp. But that's what Vieira went with. So it's not a whole lot left for Palace to do. Get a right back in, get a midfielder in. And I do think they're going to be a very good team this season. 
for the Gunners, they've still got some work to do. I mean, when you've got Granit Xhaka in your team, you've still got work to do. But that can be elevated by bringing Kieran Tierney in at left-back and pushing Zinchenko into that midfield role. They've got Tommy Asu to come in for Ben White. That's an upgrade. But it is going to be really important to keep Saliba in the team. Now, a lot of people got carried away with the performance. He was very good, don't get me wrong. But this idea that he's the next Van Dyke, let's not load the pressure of becoming the best centre-back in the world into onto a young player after one game. Let's not do that. I've been saying all along, Saliba and Gabriel, you heard me all through last season, Saliba and Gabriel will be a better pairing than White and Gabriel. The signing of White didn't make a whole lot of sense. But it can make sense if he's the backup to Saliba and the backup to Tommy Asu. He'll just be an, a big overpay rather than an actual bad signing, which is what it was last season. I still would like to see them get someone that can cover Gabriel and Tierney stylistically so that the makeup of the team doesn't change. Push Zinchenko into midfield. And let's see what an Odegaard parte Zinchenko midfield looks like. Let's see what that looks like. Could probably do it one then for depth in midfield. But get that left-footed centre back in who can also cover left-back. The, the role you wanted Lisandro Martinez for. There are others out there who can fill that role for you. I mean, you could have filled it by just going for Calvin Bassey. I'd be looking at someone like Hinkapi from Bayer Leverkusen. Now, he might not be for sale this season, but he's the exact profile you want. He is a massive talent. Left side centre back or left back. Similar profile to what you've got already, which means that when they're out, the team doesn't have to change, the shape doesn't change, the build up doesn't change, everything can remain as you want it. Let's move on then. Fulham 2, Liverpool 2. Liverpool were absolutely dreadful. Fulham played really, really well. Fulham were the most surprising team of the weekend, without question. They were aggressive, they were forceful, they moved the ball well, they had purpose in their attack. You could see they've been well coached by Marco Silva. Now, that's not to say there aren't issues in that team. Liverpool could have stolen that game, but it would have been stealing because Fulham deserved at least their point. And to be honest, they deserved all three. Liverpool didn't really deserve anything from the game. We know Fulham have more work to do. We know they do. We know they need a goalkeeper. They have Leno, so that's going to solve that problem. He's better than Roddick. That upgrade's there. We know they need help at centre-back. Reports today that they've agreed a fee for Issa Diop. That's a significant upgrade on Tim Ream. They got Shane Duffy in. You'd probably ideally want one more in for a bit more quality depth. So you have Tosin and Issa Diop as your starters. If you get somebody in who stylistically is more similar to them and can be your third centre-back, and then Ream and Duffy are your fourth and fifth or fifth and fourth, whichever way, and then that's fine. Right-back is going to be fine because they've got Mbappu. Uh, Left-back, they could do with cover there. You wouldn't be against another body in midfield. Paulinho was outstanding at the weekend. Harrison Reed had a really strong game. But 
just for the sake of having those extra legs in there, maybe you could go and find one more. Uh, Cabano, De Cordova Reed, they caused Liverpool a lot of trouble. Manor Solomon got his international clearance. He caused Liverpool trouble when he came on. You'd maybe want one more. They've got Harry Wilson to come back, but I still think one more who can play maybe as the 10 or as a 9. Like, if you could find, like, Daichi Kamada, someone like that, who can play as a 10 or a 9, give you different looks, could play in a front two at Mitrovic, off Mitrovic, or instead of Mitrovic. Someone like him would be perfect. Whether they have the budget or not, I don't know. But Mitrovic got his two goals, bullied Liverpool throughout, threw himself to the ground a couple of times, but was strong, snatched Jordan Henderson's soul at one stage, left him in a heap on the ground. Just a big, bad bully. And was very, very good. Very, very good. Very impressed by him. Paulinho, for me, was the player of the game. I just thought he was absolutely outstanding. The physicality he had was just a level above what Liverpool could deal with. Um, So, great point for them. But they've got to build on this now. They can't just go, oh, we got a point against Liverpool. So, you know, we're going to be better than people think. We've seen teams start pretty well and then fall apart completely. We need to see Fulham use this as a building block. This can't be the level. It has to go higher than that. Because Liverpool were terrible. It wasn't just that Fulham were good. Liverpool were outright terrible. Trent didn't have a good game. Matip was okay. Van Dijk didn't have a good game. Robertson didn't have a good game. Thiago was okay. Fabinho didn't have a good game. Diaz had a good game. He was good. Salah was good. Firmino was poor. And the captain of Liverpool was awful. And I'm not going to go into it because I did 25 minutes on it on the Daily Red, which you can listen to over on Anfield Index. But it's blatantly obvious at this point that Liverpool, not at this point, it was blatantly obvious a year ago that Liverpool needed a midfielder. But people stuck their heads in the sand. Now they're just outright lying to themselves and trying to claim Liverpool don't need a midfielder. They do. It's the most obvious thing in the world that Liverpool need another midfielder in the door. Henderson's not good enough. Milner's not good enough. Elliot's a kid. Keita, Thiago, always injured. Fabinho has injury issues. Curtis Jones, I mean, who knows at this point? And Oxley Chamberlain just not good enough. Liverpool don't have Liverpool have a great three man midfield to put on the pitch. Keita, Fabinho, and Henderson uh, and Thiago. Keita, Fabinho, and Thiago is a great midfield three. The issue is that both Keita and Thiago will miss half the season. And the best use of them and the best position for both of them is the left-sided role where they would rotate. The best use of them is to rotate them in one position. So you get two midfielders for one position. And that means you don't have one for the other number eight position because none of the other options are good enough. Henderson's no, nowhere near good enough. Milner's nowhere near good enough. Oxley chamberlains nowhere near good enough. Curtis Jones just hasn't shown he's good enough. And you don't really want him learning on the job. Not when you're going up against an absolute juggernaut in Man City. And Elliot has less than 10 Premier League starts under his belt. Like, he's 19. You're going to put the hopes of your season in a 19-year-old? Liverpool need to go and buy a midfielder. It's just a fact of the matter. It's not even debatable at this point. 
There was maybe a debate to be had last summer. It cost them the title last season. It let them down the Champions League final. It's not debatable now. If you've watched the last two games, one midfielder in particular stands out like a sore thumb. Liverpool need to address the midfield. They need to get a lot better. If they continue to perform like that, there will be no title challenge this season. City will run away with it. Moving on to the 3pm kickoffs. Bournemouth 2, Aston Villa 0. This was a big shock because Villa spent a lot of money in the summer, came into the season feeling confident. Gerrard had made the big change to go with John McGinnis as captain and drop Tyron Mings, remove the armband from Mings as well. And it backfired, frankly. Um, Bournemouth scored two goals from set pieces because because Villa just were complete sixes and sevens. They looked like they'd never, ever defended a set piece before. Like, they dealt with the first ball, so that was it. Job done, lads. Let's move on. Next. And Bournemouth just snapped up those second balls. Jefferson Lerma, two minutes in, snaps up a second ball that bounces to him in the box. Nobody rounds him. Nobody rounds him, rifles it in. Not a whole lot happened from there to 80. Second ball picked up by Lloyd Kelly. Lovely cross into the box. And Kiefer Moore rises highest and he heads home. Gerard looked tactically inept in this game. But credit to Scott Parker. Thought he set his team up pretty well. Thought they were aggressive. Thought they played some decent football. You'd like to see what the final product is going to be for Bournemouth. They're obviously uh, currently in talks for a couple of players. Uh, Them wanting a centre-back is no surprise. Uh, They needed a backup goalkeeper. They've got Neto in, um, and that's a fine role for him. Uh, Marcus Sinisi, the centre-back from Feyenoord, he is on his way. Uh, He is a good player. He is a good player. He's been at Feyenoord now three years. Struggled a bit in his first season just to adapt to European football, but was really good the last two seasons. Played 50 times last year. If they're going to play a back three, him in the middle, Lloyd Kelly on the right, that are on the left, that could be really good. Zamora suits been uh, a left wing back more than a fullback because he's very attack-minded. I don't know that Jefferson Lerma is the ideal right-side centre-back. I know he scored his goal, but I just don't think that's the ideal use of him. And they don't have a right wing-back. None of the options of the club are are, are up to scratch. Um, thought, uh, I thought Philip Billing looked quite good in the middle of the park. Last season, he played a bit more advanced. But him and Pearson in midfield looked quite good together. Uh, a little bit surprised that Pearson started. Wasn't expecting him to be a uh, first-choice starter for this game. But Lewis Cook was out, so maybe that's why that was maybe that's why that's that was the case. He wasn't fully fit, so he, Lewis Cook came off the bench. Um, be interested to see what Bournemouth do now between now and the end of the window. I still think they're one of the favourites to go down. But this is a really good start, and it's a dreadful start for Villa. A really dreadful start for Villa. Gerard has made some big moves recently with his existing staff and existing players. Um, taking the armband off Mings, dropping Mings, 
what he the decision he made with Carney Chukwemeka and the decision not to start Ollie Watkins and none of them worked. Gerard looked really poor, really, really poor. Newcastle 2, Nottingham Forest nil. Forest not off to the best start, but it must be pointed out, it, it took an absolute worldie from Fabian Schar to break them down. Um, he scored a goal like that, I think, maybe three years ago. I think against Burnley. From basically the same position. Strode forward in the right half space and just lashed the ball into the top corner. Gave the keeper no chance. Uh, Dean Henderson had made a couple of good saves. I thought the team selection from Forrest, the decision to start callback, I just thought was a poor one. And he looked out of his depth. If we're being fair, he looked well out of his depth in the Premier League. Uh, I think they would have gotten more from their back three if they'd put McKenna centrally and uh, Niakata on the left. They decided to play Niakata in the middle. Um, and Taylor Wani probably should have started. But first game up, a lot of players still settling in. I think they're going to be fine. I, I think we saw enough from Forrest to show they'll be fine, even though they had the worst start of the three promoted teams. Toon will be very, very happy. Um, Bruno Gomerich looked a class above, an absolute class above everybody else in the pitch. That is a sensational footballer that the top clubs should be kicking themselves over. United and Arsenal and Liverpool, who've cry- who are crying out for a midfielder, they would look so much better with Bruno Gomerich in their team. So much better. He is a top, top class player. And the tune, the tune will be solid this year. They will. Um, they got the second goal through Callum Wilson on 78. I, I put it down to poor defending, but it's a good finish uh, from the former Bournemouth striker. Tottenham 4, Southampton 1. Saints went one up on 12 minutes. James Ward-Prowse with a nice volley, good technique, struck the ball down, used the bounce to his advantage. Good goal. Ryan Sessegnon equalised on 21 minutes. Great work from Kulisewski. Great cross. Great run by Sessegnon. A very simple header. Eric Dyer made it 2-1 on 31 minutes. Practically lying on the ground to get a flick on and a header. Southampton's defence all at sea. Salisu, one of the worst own goals you'll ever see on 61. I I just don't know what he was doing. And Dejan Kulisevsky, who was outstanding on the day, on 63. Four goals for Spurs without Kane or Son scoring. That should be worrying for the teams competing with them for third and fourth. That they've got real firepower in this team. And Kulisevsky looks like a man possessed, an absolute man possessed. He looks like he's taken the signing of Richarlison personally. And uh, I think we'll see a lot from him this season. And Richarlison's not getting in that front three. And they've got ways to improve as well. Emerson Real played well, but Jed Spence can come in. Bentoncourt and Hoysberg played well, but Basuma will come into this team. And I, th- I think Basuma's outstanding. I thought he played well when he came on. Uh, Sessegnon played well, scored his goal, but Ivan Perisic is an option there. I still have concerns over Dyer and Davies, but, you know, in a Conte back three, 
he makes things work. The man won a league title with a back three, a Premier League title with a back three of Cesar Aspinaqueta, who's 5'8", David Luiz, who's mental, and Gary Cahill, who was never all that good to begin with and had no left foot at all. And he played on the left side of that back three. Add to that, Victor Moses and Marcus Alonso were the wingbacks. Think about that for a second. Aspilicueta, Luis, Cahill, Moses and Marcus Alonso. Just consider that as a back five. And he won the league with that. He is a miracle worker. And I think Spurs are going to be really good this season. Uh, For Saints, there were some positives. They started very well. I thought uh, Lavia looked really good in midfield. That's actually probably all the positives there was. They started well and Lavia looked good. Salisu just looked really shaky. I don't understand why you would play a back three and not play Bella Kotchup as the right-sided centre-back. Like, why is Jan Valery starting? And why is Jack Stevens the sub coming off the bench? Like, why is Musa Gineppo playing as a wing-back when you've got Romain Perot sitting on the bench? I just, I didn't understand the lineup. I think the manager overthought this one and got things wrong. I think he thought in-game he might need to change the shape and he didn't want to uh, lose a substitution. But it didn't work. It didn't work. And Palace have concerns, or Southampton have concerns, rather. Southampton's got to get a goal scorer in, and he's got to settle on a shape and a system and a group of players that are going to play. A back three is not Ralph Hasenhutl. It's just not. So go back to what got you to the dance. Go back to the four-man defence. Go back to the box midfield. Just get yourself a striker in to partner Armstrong up front. Um... Leeds 2, Wolves nil. I actually thought Wolves were the better team here. I thought Wolves played some very, very good football. Daniel Pedence put them one up on six minutes. Uh, another volley that he hit into the ground was, had a bit more luck to it than the Ward-Prowse one, but was, without question, a good strike. Um, Wolves played a lot of good football in this game. I thought Gibbs-White looked good. I thought Neto looked good. Neves was pinging passes here, there, and everywhere. They got the boost of Wang being fit, which they they weren't expecting. They still obviously have Moutinho to come back into this team. It looks like they're about to add Goncalo Quedes from Valencia, former PSG and Benfica wide forward. So I'm curious to see how he'll fit in. I wonder will he play left wing with Neto moving to the right wing? And Gibbs White maybe playing as the 10. Now, Forrest apparently have bid 25 million plus 10 and add ons for Morgan Gibbs White. So they're not messing around. They really want the player. But Bruno Lage has come out and said, well, we think he's a 50 million pound player. And I think he's right. I think he's right. I think there's talent there that Morgan Gibbs White could become a 50 million pound player in the next 18 to 24 months. And they'd rather develop him in-house and have the benefit of that player at Wolves. It's a big, big statement to turn that bid down. I think Gibbs White has got to look at that and look at the other bids they've turned down and understand that he is wanted at that club. Bruno Lage does want him there. And if they can get him as the number 10 playing week in, week out, 
I think he can have a big, big impact for them this season. He was outstanding last season for Sheffield United. Wolves have made another big statement this weekend. Connor Cody, uh, Connor Cody didn't start. Connor Cody didn't come off the bench because Wolves moved to the back four that Lash has been looking to move to since he took over. And over the weekend, news came out that Connor Cody is almost certainly joining Everton. Now, it could be a loan with an option to buy. It could be a permanent deal. That remains to be seen. That tells me that Wolves are, if they're willing to accept a loan with an option to buy, they're fairly desperate to get him out of the club. Now, we know he can't play in the back four. We, we've all seen it. it. It doesn't work. West Ham fans have themselves worked up into a sweaty mess because they want him. They don't play a back four. Connor Cody's not a good signing for you if you play a back four. And they want to point to Dawson and say, oh, well, Dawson was great last year. He was all right. He was all right. He was fine. Let's not pretend he was Maldini. Craig Dawson's a big, natural centre-back. Connor Cody's a midfielder that could convert it into a sweeper. His one strength is he can ping a pass. Just go and have a look at his defensive metrics. They're not great by any stretch. And when he plays in a four, it is largely a catastrophe. If Everton sign him, they're going to they're committing to a back three. Now I think if you're playing a back three, Tarkovsky has to play in the middle of it, but they're gonna to have to play him probably on the right side of it, and we'll see who plays on the left side of it. I don't think West Ham should be too upset about missing out. Wolves are clearly happy to move him on. Clearly happy to move him on. Which tells me they're either worried about worried about him being disruptive or they just know he can't play in a four. But it's a big statement on the eve of the season to leave your captain out and then to start accepting offers for him. I think Wolves are going to be quite good this year. I think that Collins-Kilman pairing will be really good. I think Aitnuri is outstanding. I think that is three quarters of what could be a very, very good defence for a number of years. I mean, Max Kilman is the oldest of them. He's 25. So he's not even in his peak yet. Nathan Collins is 21. And a young 21, when he turned 21 in April this year, Kilman turned 25 in May of this year, and Rayan Aitnuri is also 21 from June of this year. So all three of them have years and years ahead of them. They've got Semedo's their first choice right back, and he is a bit older. He's 28, he'll turn 29 this season. He's a solid operator. I think he is better in a four than a five. They've got Johnny Castro who's, again, a solid enough player. He's 28, can play both sides. They've got Muskira, who I think is a decent player. Uh, it missed most of last season through injury, but he's also only a young 21. So, you know, defensively, Wolves are set up for the long haul. Uh, they've got Toti as well. Toti Gomes, he's 23. Another good centre-back option for them. And then they also have Keanu Hoiver, who's on loan at PSV Eindhoven this year. And if he does really well and comes back, 
he could take that right back spot because right back in a four is what's natural to him. He's never a wing back, ever. He's a right back in a four. And he's only 20. He'll be 21 in January. So Wolves can look at their defence and be really confident that moving forward, it's in very, very good shape. And if they can get the rest of their team into similar shape, the future is pretty bright for Wolves. You know, they've got Dion Sanderson, who can be another option. He's been on a, a bunch of loans. Uh, he's currently at Birmingham. But he's a player that could be your, you know, your fifth centre-back. Um, they've got the young Hungarian kid who's like 21, 22. He's out on loan as well. There's a strong group of defenders there owned by Wolves that is something they can build off for the future. Uh, they obviously fell behind in this game. They they ended up losing the game, obviously, so they, they fell behind. Rodrigo made it 1-1 on 24. Uh, Jose Sa, what are you doing? What are you doing? Absolutely shocking. And then Rayonate Nuri, a little bit unfortunate. It's a, a Bamford cross. Aronson is breaking in. Nuri tries to intercept it, hits him and goes in. It's, it's a good goal for Leeds. It's just unfortunate for Wolves. I thought Wolves were the better team. I thought a draw would have been a good result here. Uh, I liked what I saw from Jesse Marsh's team as well, to be fair. thought the defence looked really strong with Rasmus Christensen at right back, Streak at left back. I thought it was good. I thought he played well. Uh, Robin Cock and Lorente as a centre-back pairing. They are the two best centre-backs they have. The issue is they're both injury-prone. Roja and uh, Roja and Adams in midfield. thought it looked good. Aronson, Rodrigo and Harrison behind Bamford. Strong. Strong. Sinistera still to come into this team. The bench was very young. Very, very young. Somerville's a kid. Klassen's a kid. Gabby's a kid. Gellhart's a kid. Yeld is a kid. Drama's a kid. Greenwood's a kid. And Archie Gray is a kid. I think he's only 16. He is only 16. Uh, Matthias Glish is the only player on that bench who's, I think, over 22. Um, he did come on in the game. Um, promising for Wolves. And I think promising... Sorry, promising for Leeds. And I think promising for Wolves. I think they can take a lot out of that game. And know that they still have players to come back in. Moutinho, Jimenez, may well be that um, Guedes arrives this week. So he'll improve them. Like I say, the defence, I think there's a lot to like there. Jose Sa had a concerning game. That's the one big negative. Really poor on the Rodrigo goal. And he should have given away a penalty. He came out for across and basically punched Rasmus Christensen in the head while getting none of the ball it should have been a penalty it wasn't the only one not given this weekend though uh, let's move on to the most boring game of the weekend Everton versus Chelsea Jorginho scored a penalty in the 54th minute which was the first half in this game and uh that was it. That's all that really happened. There was a couple of other half chances. Sterling had a half chance. Uh, Everton had a couple of decent half chances, but nothing that you'd really get yourself worked up about. Everton basically played a back five and a midfield five and nobody up front. Um, They did get a horrible injury to Ben Godfrey, which may well rule him out for four to five months. Uh, slid in to make a 
you know, a really important goal saving tackle. God as fuck caught underneath them. Horrible. They also lost Yerry Mina to injury. He with his injury history, God knows how long he'll be out. Um, I'm not having Michael Enko as a mid as a, as a wing back. I'm sorry. He needs to be played as a centre back. If you're playing a back five, there were some good positive things for Everton. I thought a Wobie played quite well as the holding midfielder, which I wasn't expecting. I thought that was a big positive. Um, but you know, Gray looked lively. Gordon looked lively. Patterson looked really good at right wing back or right was right full back in the five really. Uh, but that was about it for Chelsea. It's the same concerns as before. I mean, they're strong defensively, there's quality in midfield, and then there's nothing in the final third. They just, it is the clogged toilet of attacks. Uh, Cucurella came on and, and looked lively, put in a couple of good balls. Uh, Broye came on, didn't really have much of an impact. Sterling was was really good. Sterling impacted everything. He, he was the best player on the pitch. Uh, Mount and Havertz struggled in the roles they were asked to play. I think it would have made more sense with Sterling on the right, Havertz through the middle and Mount off the left, but Tuchel went with what he went with. And um, yeah, look, this, it's a very good Chelsea team, but they're going to struggle to score goals uh, across the season, as with last season, because they have to overcompensate defensively to make up for certain individuals who just aren't good enough to play in the back four, which is what Tuchel would like to do. You can see the regression in Jorginho and Kante in midfield. Uh, you can see why they would have interest in Frankie de Jong. And uh, I think if they can get Fafana, now I still have major doubts that they will, but if they're willing to pay 80, 85 million for him, less would be foolish not to take it and go and buy two really good young centre-backs for the same money. Like you get Max and Lacroix and Edmund Topsapa for that money. You you get both of them and you'd box off your centre back pairing for well as long as you can keep them at the club. Um if they pay 80 million for him, maybe they do finally go to the back for James, Fafana, Koulibaly, and Cucurella. That's a back four. That's a hell of a back four. It'll take time for them to settle, but that's that's special. That's a, a very, very good player in every position across the board. Um, they've got to get Kovacic into the midfield. There's just there's, he's the best midfielder they have by a distance. Um, and then they've just got to figure out what they want to do in attack. Is it a four three three? Is it a four two three one? What do you actually want to do, Mister Tuchel? Because if it's four three three, you need a goal scoring winger and a holding midfielder on top of that centre-back that you're trying to buy. You go James, centre-back, Koulibaly, Kukurella. You go Kovacic, holding midfielder, Mount. You go Sterling, you go Havertz, you go goal-scoring wide player. That's what you do. If it's 4-2-3-1, you go Kovacic, and holding midfield player. Mount is a 10. Sterling on the left. Goal scoring wide player on the right. You switch them. Because Sterling's better on the left than a 4-2-3-1. They need three players. Chelsea need three players. 
And then they need to figure out whether they want to be 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. Simple as that. And the same group of players could enable them to play each system if they get the right wide forward in, if he can play both sides. Now, I'd look at someone like Oyarzabal. For me, I think he'd be perfect. Sterling, Havertz, Oyarzabal. That, to me, is an excellent front three. Kovacic, whoever, as a holding midfielder. Has to be a holding midfielder, though. Not some, not Frankie De Jong. Uh, an actual holding midfielder. A ball winner, a defensive shield, and mount. That's really good. And then, if it's James, Fafana. Now, can they afford Fafana, Oyarzabal, and a holding midfielder? Probably not. But they have borrowed heavily. And that should be a bit of a concern to Chelsea fans. They have borrowed heavily. We'll wait and see what happens um, with, with that money. We'll wait and see what happens in future summer windows. Uh, but look, at least they're being ambitious. It's it's very scattergun at the minute. It's very football manager. Like, is outstanding. It's not really a signing that makes any sense. Uh, they need a right wing back. Like, Denzel Dumfries and Kyle Walker-Peters don't make sense. Because why would you spend that much money on someone who's... Clearly a backup. Clearly a backup. You can't find a better option across Europe. Fire all your scouts. Fire all of them. They can't find you a better option. Someone in that 10 to 15 million pound range. You didn't need a starting left back. You had Chilwell. Cookerell is better, but you didn't need to upgrade that position. Not this summer. Not when you need a centre back, a holding midfielder and a wide forward. That 50 million could have got you your holding midfielder. Or no, 50, that's 62 million. 55 plus the seven add-ons. That could have got you your holding midfielder. Anyway, it could have got you Schrinier. That's who you could have bought at centre-back. Let's move on. Everton, work to do. Amadou Onana should be confirmed this week. Stunned that they've gotten him. Stunned. Absolutely stunned. I think he's made a mistake. Not... Not that it's Everton as such, but I think West Ham was the move for him. Rotating with Suchek and Rice, playing alongside Rice. Him and Rice together, I think, could have been outstanding. But maybe Everton have made him promises of more game time. They've certainly offered bigger wages. Uh, we'll see how he does. He's a really, really promising player, though. Uh, Cody, I don't like as much. It means Everton are playing a back four. Or sorry, a back five, because if you're playing a back four with Cody, you're going to be in trouble. I've seen Everton fans say, oh, well, we can just go with Coleman, Cody, Tarkovsky and uh, Michael Anko. Enjoy the championship. That's enjoy the championship. I, you, I think you might go there anyway, but you play that back four, you're definitely going there. Oh, imagine the leadership. Right. Uh, right, moving on then to Sunday's games. Uh, Leicester City 2, Brentford 2. At one point in this game, a minute into the second half, it was Leicester 2, Brentford 0. And then Leicester did what Leicester do. They stopped defending. They just fell apart. Timothy Castanier, with a very good header from a great James Madison corner, made it 1-0 on 33 minutes. Kieran Dewsbury Hall scored a really, really good goal on 46. Lovely long-range shot right along the ground, right inside the inside post. He was really good last year. I'm excited to see what he offers this year. I think he's a very, very good player. I really do. And it it's still surprising to me that it took so long for him to establish himself 
considering how good he clearly is. Then it all went bad for Leicester. It all went very, very bad. Ivan Tony left 1v1 in the penalty area with Daniel Amarty. First touch gets it at his feet, second touch scores. Tony should have made it 2 2, had a great chance from a header about 10 minutes later. And then Josh De Silva did make it 2 2. He missed a lot of last season with injury. Then he got suspended and it's all a bit messy. If he can do what he did here regularly, he's going to play a lot of football this year. This was a very, very impressive goal. Picks the ball up on the edge of the box, cuts it in his left foot and bends it into the far corner. Now, you would question why it is that no Leicester defender closed him down, but we don't really expect Leicester to be very good defensively. Not under Brendan. Brendan went with a 3-5-1-1 formation at home. Seemed a little bit like overkill. Maybe he'd been watching videos of Lazio under Simone and Zaghi and become inspired because it was very similar to Inzaghi's Lazio team. But it just didn't work. It just didn't work. And he made one substitution. When it was becoming clear that his defence was a mess, he made one substitution. He could have moved James Justin back into centre-back for Marty, put Luke Thomas as a left wing-back, and that would have strengthened them defensively. And he did not do that. Didn't even consider it. Could have moved Sionchu into the team for Johnny Evans, who was all over the place. Didn't do that either. Wesley Fafana didn't play like a fella who's pushing for a move. We keep hearing, largely from the spoofer with the catchphrase, that Fafana is pushing for the move. Uh, it didn't look like that. Now, maybe he is privately, but it certainly didn't look like that. Leicester have got work to do. They haven't signed anybody. They've lost Kasper Schmeichel. They really need to get their backsides in gear or this is going to be a very disappointing season for them again. Brentford look good in spells. Uh, They need to start games quicker. They have a couple of players apparently on the way. Uh, Mikel Darmsgaard is as close to a done deal as possible by all accounts. He's flying in today, I think, for his medical. Uh, He'll be a really good addition and replace Ericsson. Different type of player, but will give them a lot of drive and energy from midfield and can score goals, take set pieces, things like that. Uh, I can't remember who the other name is. There was, I saw somebody mentioned over the weekend um, who they were lining up. I think it was a, it could have been a left-back. I could be wrong. could have been a left-back or a centre-back maybe. But they look like they're still busy, look like they're still trying to improve, so that's promising to see. Uh, one team that just never seems to want to improve is Manchester United. Manchester United won. Brighton and Hove Albion, two at Old Trafford. Um, A rather bizarre game, to be truthful. United started with McFred, started with Ericsson and Rashford and Bruno and Sancho in a a strikerless sort of scenario. Started with Maguire and Martinez and, uh, to be honest, that defence just looked a shambles. All the way across, Delo, Maguire, Martinez, Shaw, all poor. All had big moments where they just looked 
all at sea. Um, Brighton went one up on 30 minutes. Danny Welbeck breaking into the gap between Delow and Maguire, receiving the ball, cutting it across the box. And there was Pascal Gross to tap home. Then, nine minutes later, Solly March, who lined up, I suppose, as a right wing back, sort of, but playing quite high in what was a, a unique sort of almost. It was almost like a Van Hal three diamond three. March was playing almost like the right sided one in the diamond. It was a, a bit mad, but he cut it in his right hand side on his left foot off the right hand side. Luke Shaw just backed away and backed away and backed away. Let him get his shot off. De Gea made a good save. Breaks to Grouse. He's not going to miss from there. It's 2 0. Um, I don't know how Brighton didn't get a penalty. Martinez, it's a blatant penalty, just bundles himself into the back of Danny Welbeck uh, as as blatant the penalties you're going to see all season, to be honest. And it wasn't given. And uh, United did manage to get themselves back in the game on 68 minutes, but purely because Robert Sanchez is just not very good. I, I saw people last year, and I, including United fans, hype up the idea of signing Robert Sanchez. And I saw some suggestion that Brighton would want 40 to 50 million pounds from. And I just don't know what it's based on. Like he's not a great shot stopper. He's a good shot stopper, but not a great one. He's awful on crosses. Absolutely awful. This was a shambles. It's a corner. He's got a man on him, but he's got arms and is allowed to use them. So he jumps, completely misses his punch. The ball hits the low. The low gets a foot to it. McAllister is about to clear it. And Sanchez gets back and slaps it off McAllister and it goes in. And then he goes crying to the ref, looking for a foul. Laughable. He, I just don't think he's much good. Personally, he wouldn't be for me. Um, I really enjoyed watching Brighton. United were so poor, though. So, so poor. I thought Mo uh, Moises Casado looked just a class above in midfield. Uh, just a very, very good player. McAllister looked really good. I thought Webster and Dunk, great to see Webster back fully fit again, looked really good. Uh, I thought Lamptey looked lively when he came on. Colwell looked very, very comfortable when he came on. They had Enoch Mwepu to come off the bench. Like, they had a strong bench. United brought Cristiano Ronaldo off the bench. He did a bit of pouting and not much else. Uh, Malashi came off the bench, didn't do a whole lot of much. Uh, Donny van der Beek did at least look lively when he came off the bench, but, you know, it wasn't enough. United were just poor. And to compound the bad weekend for Manchester United and their fans, and more importantly, their fans, news broke over the weekend that United are targeting a striker. Now, this is Manchester United, so you're thinking, going to be a big money player. They're going to back the manager. They're going to go all in. They're going to go for Victor Simeon. They're going to throw 80 million on the table and say to Napoli, I dare you to say no. That's what they're going to do. But no. No, no. Eight million for Marco Arnautovic. A bid that was turned down, by the way, by Bologna. And they're going to go back for more. Apparently, 
this is because Arnautovic many, many years ago played for FC20 under one Steve McLaren. And they have a good relationship and that relationship has led to uh, this interest. And also because Eric Ten Hag was a coach at FC20 when said Arnautovic was there when Steve McLaren was there. Now, it's worth pointing out, Arnautovic left FC20 in 2010. Um, Ten Hag left two years later. I think McLaren was well gone at that point. Hadn't he been... I think he'd already been fired by Wolfsburg by the time this all happened. And... Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, he'd been fired by Wolfsburg and Nottingham Forest uh, by the time Ten Hag left. But he left the same summer Arnautovic left. Now, it's 12 years ago. He must have made an unbelievable impression. It's also worth bearing in mind, he actually only played two, well, one and a half seasons under McLaren. Was it one and a half? No, he played one season. Under McLaren. The 08-09 season. He scored 14 goals in 41 games. He actually joined Inter Milan. On loan. In the next season. The 09-10 season. Which is the year that. Uh, 20 won the. Eredivisie. So he wasn't even there for that. He's 33 years of age. He was good for Bologna last season. To be fair to him. Uh, but he spent two years before that at Shanghai Port. Two years before that with West Ham. Four years for that, obviously, with Stoke. Three years with Werder Bremen. Uh, Arnautovic has always been talent. No one has ever doubted his talent. But he's a headbanger. And he's inconsistent. In his career, he scored more than 10 league goals four times. No, three times. Ten goals once. In all competitions, he's only scored more than ten four times. I, I don't really get it. I, I don't really get it at all. But apparently, that's who United have, are zeroing in on to, to increase their striking options. Um, also, reports today from, I believe, David Ornstein... Manchester United working on a deal to sign Adrian Rabio from Juventus. United must decide if they proceed irrespective of ongoing De Jong pursuit or await outcome of that before deciding. 27-year-old French international has one year left on his Juventus contract. Um, Adrian Rabio is the perfect replacement for Paul Pogba. And I will leave you to deduce from that what I mean. Last game of the weekend. Manchester City 2, West Ham 0 at the London Stadium. Erling Haaland is up and running. City are away to the races. Haaland on 36 minutes, won a penalty, got up, scored the penalty. The burst of pace, 
to put him in position to win the penalty, a little bit scary. Uh, City were quite boring in this game, it's worth pointing out. And a lot of their attacking play led to nothing, most of which was the fault of Jack Grealish, who just uh, continues to look completely out of sorts in this team. He just He's just not off the... He's not on the same wavelength as his teammates. He plays one specific way and that's it. Um, but Haaland's second goal is 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 just a thing of beauty. De Bruyne plays an unbelievably good th- through ball. Haaland breaks onto it. Has that much pace he can run around the ball. It, he's moving from left to right. The ball is played into the inside right channel. He's able to sort of overrun it and get himself back on his left foot. And it's a, it's a gorgeous finish past Ariola. Overall, his performance was a bit meh, but he gets two goals. That's all that really matters. City win the game. I was really disappointed with West Ham. I, I, I was really disappointed with West Ham. I uh, thought they looked flat. thought they looked uninspired. Don't understand the decision to play uh, Ben Johnson as a centre-back. He's a full-back. Not a centre-back. I know you're trying to sell this city up, but Jesus Lord wept. Play a centre-back over a full-back. Like, I don't understand why they're trying to sell this city up because his first season there, he was brilliant and they thought they were going to be able to sell him for like 60 million afterwards. Moyes has never, never seemed to like him. But Diop and Zuma would have been better than Johnson and Zuma. Significantly better. Um... West Ham need to improve drastically. City will just keep plugging away. They will just keep plugging away from here on. And when you see what they can bring off the bench, you know, they start with De Bruyne, Rodri and Gundogan in the midfield, Foden right, Haaland centre, Grealish left. They can bring on Calvin Phillips, first choice for England. Uh, Julian Alvarez looks like he could be a really good player. Bernardo Silva, one of the best players in the league. Riyad Mahrez, outstanding. And Cole Palmer, who, to be fair, really does look like he has a lot of talent. I think this is a big season for him as well. He's now 20. He played 11 games in all competitions last season, scored three goals. You'd like to see him play a lot more this year. He can play attacking midfield as an eight. He can play a little bit of what in, in the wide areas. He can play through the middle. Very, very versatile. Very, very intelligent player. I think he could be a big player for them this season. Now, it'll be because he's in a squad role. He won't be a regular starter or anything like that because, well, I mean, look at the quality around him. But, yeah, he's another one that's going to have an impact this season. And John Stones doesn't even get off the bench. I mean, John Stones is now the fourth centre-back or... It might just be that Pep is looking at, at it as Laporte and Aki are my left sides, Diaz and Stones are my right sides, and that's what I'm going to stick with. Uh, I'd still expect them to add one more, uh, probably that, that full-back that they've been chasing. But City look, they look really strong. They do. They look really strong. This was a very business-like performance. Turn up, win the game, don't overextend, let's move on to the next one. And it looked very easy for them. It looked very, very easy for them. West Ham, I think, will be very disappointed. I think Moyes will be very disappointed. Uh, We'll take our break. When we come back, we'll catch up with the latest news and the gossip, and we'll be done. See you in a few.
Right, welcome back. So David Ornstein had two exclusives this morning. One was the Adrian Rabio deal. The other relates to Barcelona. Frankie de Jong has been told by Barcelona that they have evidence of criminality around the contract given to him by the old board, which is calls for legal action versus all involved. Barca are asking him to annul the deal and revert back to the previous terms of his old contract, which paid him significantly less money. A lot of money, but significantly less money. Frankie, it's a weird thing. Frankie went to Barca and didn't really impress and hasn't really impressed, but was given an enormous new contract. Which was a strange move at the time. And Barca now say they have evidence of criminality. It sounds mental. It is mental. The whole club is mental. They're just... No, if an English club operated the way Barca op operated, there would be absolute uproar. Uh, Chelsea have reached a verbal agreement with Malang Sar, loan with an obligation to buy at 15 million if he makes a certain amount of appearances. Um, good move for him. Good money for Chelsea to get in for a player that they clearly have no need for. They've got him on a Bosman. I think he was on 60 grand a week. So he spent the first year on loan, second year with them. They paid him about three million signing bonus. They've probably paid about six million to him, and then the loan covered the first year. Um, all things considered, yeah, solid profit to be made. The Frankie Dion thing is just mental. It is so funny. Uh, let's move on. Leipzig are set to sign Timo Werner back from Chelsea on a permanent deal or potentially a loan with an obligation to buy. That hasn't really been sorted out. So, I think it's a great signing for Leipzig. Chelsea will take a big loss, but fifteen million for Star to come, probably the better part of thirty million for Timo. They're clawing back the money they spent say on Sterling, and they've still got a few more sales to make. So you know they'll bring back in a bit more money. Uh RB Salzburg have no intention to sell Benjamin Sesko this summer. The price being thrown around for him is ridiculous and anyone that pays it needs to be examined by medical professionals and probably by some sort of fraud department or something because it would be insane to pay 60-odd million for a teenager who's yet to really show it over a full season in the Austrian League. Uh, Mar Marcus Sinisi's deal to Bournemouth looks like it'll be done. It should be announced later today. Alex Moreno will not join Nottingham Forest this summer. Uh, Forest, this is such nonsense. This is such nonsense. Forest were not trying to sign him once they signed Harry Tofolo. So I think this quote might be made up, or it might just be that they did look at him and did make a proposal to him a while back. Forest are not looking for the left back. They've gotten two, and they've got callback who can play there if they're stuck they don't need another one uh, Villarreal are working to sign Giovanni Lo Celso that looks like it will be a loan with an obligation to buy and possibly also Tangai Enzambelli on a loan with an option to buy um, 
that's a bit of a a bit of a kick in the teeth for Spurs because I think they were hoping to get real money in for both of them this summer. But you take what you get at, at times, I suppose. What else do we have? Angelino has uh, completed his move to Hoffenheim. He was linked to Brighton. Uh, he would have been a good signing for Brighton, but off to Hoffenheim on a loan with an option to buy. It's a Diop to Fulham. Looks like it should get done in the next couple of days. 15 million, according to Jacob Steinberg. Paris Saint-Germain are set to sign Fabian Ruiz. I love that signing. I love it. Get him and Renato Sanchez in with Verratti. Vitinha is sort of your fourth centre midfielder. You could throw them all out together in a, in a flat four if you needed to, if you wanted to, which Galtier has history of doing. Some good business by PSG. Not the type of flashy business we've seen them do. If, if you told somebody that Paris Saint-Germain were going to have a summer where they signed... Renato Sanchez for uh, 15 million euro, Nordi Mukieli for 10 million euro, Vitinha, Hugo Ekatiki, and Fabian Ruiz. They'd probably laugh at you and say that's not the type of window that PSG have. This is maybe the first smart window PSG have had in years, uh, which is, you know, a little bit concerning for teams that have been laughing at them for not winning the European Cup. Um, Alexis Sanchez will terminate his contract with Inter Milan in the next couple of days and then is expected to join Marseille. And Marseille taking a big swing on that one. Wouldn't be the type of move that i like, but, you know, he does have some star power and maybe he can recover some of the magic. Um, what else do we have? Uh, United Keane Lernadovic, we've been over that. Garth Crooks has his team of the week. Let's have a look and see what he's gotten wrong. He's got Robert Sanchez in goal. A, a scandal. Why is Robert... He was awful. He had very little to do. When he did, he did wrong. Uh, he's gone for Shar because he scored, Dyer because he scored, and Saliba because he probably watched the Friday night game. Now, Saliba is fine. I don't have a problem with him being in. Um, Kulosevsky, yeah, no problem. Pascal Gross scored too, so of course he's going to be in. Uh, De Bruyne and Gundogan, I think, is questionable. Uh, Gamerish should have been in there. And, I mean, I just don't think Gundogan was all that good. He played all right, like he was fine. But Paulinho was a lot better. And then Jesus, Mitrovic and Haaland. I mean, Jesus had a couple of decent dribbles and pressed okay, but not really sure about that. Darwin Nunes came on, got a goal and assist and completely changed the Liverpool-Fulham game. So, you know, uh, like I always say, Garth Crooks doesn't watch football. He watches highlights on Match of the Day and he looks at who scored. And that's it. Uh, let's do the gossip and just be done. Barcelona remain in talks over Marcus Alonso and are confident of reaching agreement. I, I don't know why you'd sign him. Alonso said his goodbyes to the staff at Chelsea's training ground as he looks to seal his transfer this weekend. Crystal Palace are interested in re-signing Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Now, obviously people have watched him at United and realised there's a lot of shortcomings to his game. The £50 million price tag was bananas. 
But if Palace could get him back on a loan with an option to buy for, I don't know, 15 to 18 million, I think that's good business for them because they need a defensive-minded right-back because when Elise comes back, you want a defensive right-back behind him. So Wan-Bissaka, Anderson, Gwehi and Mitchell, that's pretty strong. That really is pretty strong. Everton are set to beat West Ham to the signing of Amadou Onana. He was at their game at the weekend. Uh, whether he was impressed or not remains to be seen. Chelsea may have to break the £80 million world transfer record for a defender to sign Wesley Fafana. Uh, if Leicester managed to get back-to-back world records for centre-backs, that's fairly impressive. Um, Fafana's 21, so you're getting a long, long time with him. He's certainly not worth that kind of money now. Like he's a he's a 40, 45 million pound centre back right now. But unlike Maguire, he has the potential to become that 80 million pound centre back. So you can see why you do it, but at the same time, it's still an, an awful lot of money. Tottenham are planning to complete the signing of Destiny Udoji this week from Udinese. Super talented, probably go back on loan. I was hoping Brighton would actually get him. Uh Barcelona and Netherlands midfielder. Frankie De Jong is sorry is prepared to remain with the Spanish club on a reduced salary despite interest from Chelsea and Man United. He has a weird fascination with the club, doesn't he? He really does. Uh, Leeds are targeting a twenty-two million pound deal for Arnaut Calimundo from Paris Saint Germain. That one seems to be been ongoing for a while and doesn't seem to have had any progress. Dialogue remains open between Manchester United and Red Bull Salzburg. Words that mean nothing. Utter nonsense. Sky looking to pretend like they're in the in the mix. Uh, Leeds owner Andrea Radrazzani has said Chelsea agreed a £65 million fee to sign for to sign Rafinha before Barcelona influences saw the winger choose during the Spanish club and saw Leeds get less money. But they did get more money up front. I think they're getting like £50 million up front and then five million a year, whereas Chelsea's was spread out over five years. Something silly like that. But the player didn't want to go to Chelsea is the bottom line of it. Bruno Lage expects Adama Traore to stay at the club and be part of the squad for the new season. That sounds like a manager trying to draw a bit of, a bit of interest, if you ask me. Um, Nottingham Forest have made an inquiry to take Angelino on loan. No, they haven't. Uh, Middlesbrough are finalising a deal to sign Matthew Hoppe from Mallorca. Uh, he needs to settle somewhere. He was at Schalke, broke through, did okay, scored a couple of goals, uh, six in 24 games, then moved to Mallorca, and it was largely a disaster for him last season. And now he's on the move again. This will be his third club in, and he's only 21. Uh, he was at Schalke from... 19 to 21, a year in the academy, a year in the first team. Before that, he was at La Masia for two years. He was at Strikers FC for two years, which is a an academy in Orange County, California. And he was in the LA Galaxy Academy for a year. So since he was 13, one, two, three, four, five different clubs in eight years. That type of thing concerns me. Like, I get that some players are, are doing it to advance their careers. 
the move to Mallorca didn't advance his career. Staying with Chalke and playing in the second Bundesliga, that would have advanced his career an awful lot more. Um, maybe he just didn't make the grade at, at Barca. I, I don't know. Um, we'll see. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't actually La Masia he was at. It's like they have an academy in in America, and that think that's where he was. But still, like you've just you're moving too often. If you go to Borough, stay there for three years, and develop, and let's see what you can do. Former Barcelona midfielder Cesc Fabregas has urged Lionel Messi to leave Paris Saint Germain and return to the Camp Nou. There is a, a cultish type of thing around Barcelona and players who play for Barcelona, isn't it? Uh, Manchester United have approached Bayern Munich about Leroy Sané. No, they haven't. Liverpool are interested in submitting a bid for Sané. No. Chelsea have offered £59 million plus Marcus Alonso for Frankie de Jong. So, £59 million then. Uh, an agreement has been reached on personal terms between Barcelona and Alonso. It was reached about three months ago. De Jong, so Manchester United could offer Donny van de Beek in a swap deal for Frankie De Jong, why would Barcelona want that? Why would Frank? Why would Donny Van de Beek agree to that? May other than the cult, uh, United are eyeing Napoli midfielder Fabian Ruiz as an alternative to De Jong. No. Everton manager Frank Lampard wants to sign Rennes and Guinea striker Serhu Garassi, who's available for fifteen million. I mean. He's not very good. He's all right. Like, he's fine. But he's not a starter for Ren. Are you going to spend 15 million on a, on a squad player from a French club who aren't one of the, you know, top two or three? Seems odd. Uh, Dan Axel Zagadou is attracting interest from West Ham and Roma. He'd be a good signing for West Ham. He would. It'd be a good signing for Fulham as well. Uh, Benjamin Sesco has decided to remain with the Austrian club. Um, who cares? Manchester United have added Cody Gakpo to their list of targets. He is, of course, Dutch. So, you know, Phil's that's the biggest requirement to be a Man United target these days. Be Dutch or have played in the Netherlands. That's pretty much all that matters. Um, Eric Ten Hag is taking an active role in the pursuit of a second-choice goalkeeper, which means he is talking to people in the Netherlands and seeing who might be available. Chelsea owner Todd Bowley flew Mark Cucurella to Mykonos in Greece to seal his transfer from Brighton. Why? Why did he do that? That seems odd. Um, Leicester and Southampton are on alert after Callum Hudson-Odoi asked to leave Chelsea on loan before the transfer window shuts. If I was a number of clubs, I'd be jumping on that. He is super talented. Borussia Dortmund are also interested in the move for Hudson-Odoi. Timo Werner is close to a permanent move to Leipzig. Uh, Manchester United had a bid rejected by Bologna, Villarreal, Celso. Bayern Munich sporting director Hassan Salihamidzic has denied that United have made an inquiry for Leroy Sané because they didn't. Uh, more Cesco nonsense. Liverpool are keen on a swap deal for Inter Milan midfielder Marcelo Brozovic with either Roberto Firmino or Naby Keita heading the other way. 
nonsense. Um, Everton expect to beat West Ham to the signing of Connor Cody. Wolves have rejected a loan offer from an unnamed Italian club for Toti Gomes, and they should, they should keep him. Leicester City and Denmark defender Yannick Vestergaard has rejected a move to Fulham. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, Ivory Coast midfielder Ibrahim Sanger has extended his contract with PSV until 2027, despite interest from West Ham. And that is it. That is all the gossip for today, folks. That is the show. It's a bit of a long one, but it is what it is. It's Monday. What do you expect? I will talk to you all tomorrow when hopefully the stench of that Jordan Henderson performance the weekend has worn off a little bit. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.